listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a previously recorded message from Trenton Mueller. Why, hello. It is so good. Yeah, one. Yes. Awesome. Let's try it again. Hello. Hey, so like they said earlier, my name is Trenton Mueller. I got to be on staff here for like nine months, greatest nine months of my life. Um, I got to, to serve. And then three years ago in 2019, my wife, uh, Kelly, and my eight-month-old baby, Leo, moved to Los Angeles area in Anaheim and have been a part of Echo Church, a church that Long Hollow planted. And then as of about a month ago, Echo Church just sent me to go plant in the heart of the city in, in downtown Los Angeles. And so one of the, one of the coolest things about being a church planter, <clears throat> um, when I say church planter, it, do you know what I'm saying, right? Do you know what that means? Does everyone I found in Los Angeles when I say church planter, people think plants. They have no, you know, they, they don't know planter. It means you're starting a new church. That's all that means. But um, yeah, we're starting a, a new church. And so I'll say this on the front end. If you are a young person, which most of you are, there's a couple oldies in here, Andy and, you know, others. Um, but if you're a young person and you want to serve with a church plant in a city, next summer, really for the next three summers, we're going to be hosting GenSend. And so you can literally come for six weeks, you live at USC, you work with a church plant like mine, or there's gonna be a couple of others and you just serve the city. Um, there, there's a couple things that I love about church planting as I contrast it with um, kind of where I was and not long hollow per se, but just doing church in Tennessee. I'm born and raised in Tennessee. And the best things about it, this is my church planting pitch to you. If, and not even, it's not even a pitch, it's just things I love, but the best thing about church planting is that you get to see the power of the gospel in a city. There's so often we get numb to how good and how powerful the message of Jesus is. And I have people in my life who went from an FU to me as a pastor to a, I'm gonna help you plant a church. And that is the transformation that you get to see in a place like Los Angeles, and it's awesome. And then really my favorite part about being a church planner, if I can be honest, is, I mean, we're the church hurt generation. Yes, I'm clumping myself with you young people. I'm 33, so I'm not that old, okay? I'm not that old, but we're the church hurt generation with like all these questions and all this stuff and baggage, and I don't like that the church did this or, you know, and... And so when I think about my two little boys, I have two now and one on the way, uh, or a child on the way. We haven't, we haven't learned the gender yet, but um, for them to get to see their dad, not just be someone who stands on a stage and communicates only, but get to see their dad love on the least of these in a city is like really exciting for me. And so they don't just, a lot of times are like projected faith and our actual faith are actually two different stories. And um, in church planting, what I've found is that those kind of, that chasm a lot of times just merges together because um, of the culture of church planting and the culture of a city. And 
to say you're a Christian in Los Angeles actually costs you something. There's actually like social ramifications to your life. And so Los Angeles is a wonderful place with wonderful people. Our county, Los Angeles County, has more people than the state of Tennessee, three million more people. And, and just, there's just a great need for the gospel. And so if by, even if just a small part of you, 1% of you is like, I would love to talk to him more about what it looks like to maybe come out there and serve on Gen Send or move your life, go to school out there, please let me know at the end of this service, um, by all means. So, hey, tonight, I mean, I've just gotta be honest with you. I'm no prolific speaker by any means, and I actually don't really ever care to be. My goal in preaching the word or in teaching the word is to hold it up and examine it together and just help it be clear for us that we would just get a clear moment um, of understanding God's goodness by his word. And so if you have your Bible or if you're gonna use your smartphone, go ahead and turn to Psalm 103. We're literally just gonna obey the word tonight. We're gonna be in Psalm 103, so go ahead and turn there. But in Ephesians, Paul admonishes the church in Ephesus, um, in chapter five, he says this. He says the verse that some of us don't like. Um, uh, Do not be drunk with wine. All you alcoholics out there, pay, take attention, pay attention. Um, he says, do not be drunk with wine, but be, instead be filled with the spirit, uh, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So edifying each other with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, making music in your hearts to the Lord and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just gonna obey that tonight. We're gonna look at Psalm 103 together. It's not rocket science to understand, but man, does it display God's goodness for us tonight so well. And so I just ask for just a few minutes of just great attention, not because I'm desperate for it at all. I, I mean, I don't really care, but because I think this word can change our life tonight. I think this word can heal us tonight. I think this word has power and authority for us tonight. And I'm just gonna do my best to hold it up and we're just gonna examine it together. Is that cool? Nod your head if that's cool. <clears throat> All right, before we dig in and read, read the first few verses of Psalm 103, I want us to remember that the Psalms are poetry. The Psalms are, these are songs and these are poetry. These are meant to be felt deeply as they beautifully display God and his goodness and human struggle and trial. This, this is not a textbook in college about chemistry, which you intellectually understand, but you're not like, whoa, like there's no emotional connect. A Psalm is supposed to be felt. It's supposed to be understood deeply, deeply in our hearts and in our souls. And I believe that the wonderful thing about Psalm 103 is I think it's prophetic. And what I mean by that is the things we're gonna read and understand about God in this text fully apply to us today in Hendersonville, Tennessee. There are parts of the Bible that you really have to put your brain on, you have to study and you, and you have to go, God, was this for them? Was this just for, for the Israelites? Or was it just for this person? Or can I apply that to me today? Let me tell you, this text for us today is fully applicable to your life right now, fully applicable. And um, the reason why I'm landing there is because everything we see about God in the text we're about to read, we can see in Christ on the cross. Every single piece of his nature and his attributes that we see in his work among mankind that we see in this text, we can see again in the New Testament in Christ. 
And so we can just, like, you can shed off the what's our context layer. We can actually just, it kind of like, we're like removing barriers. And, and, and it's a good thing in this case, because that's not a barrier we have to like juggle of how would they have heard this in their context. Like, uh, we can just take this at face value for you, for your heart and for your soul today. How many like diehard music fans in the room? Anybody? Okay, okay. Does everyone here know, just raise your hand because I want to know, do you know what a, well, not yet. Uh, do you know what a crescendo is? Do you know what a crescendo, everyone? Okay, raise your hand if you don't know what a crescendo is. Ah, okay, good. So a crescendo, it's a music term. I'm probably gonna like, you know, get this wrong, but it's a music term and it, it's, it's talking, it, what a crescendo is. We actually just did it in like every bridge. Like just go to Long Hall's live stream, fast forward to a bridge, it's a crescendo, okay? Every worship, am I, not, am I wrong, Andy? Every bridge on every worship song, it starts and it's low and then it starts to build and the lyrics build and the emotions build. This last song, which I'd never heard that we just sang, it was a crescendo, like the bridge started low. It started, it started with, and as the lyrics built, the music built and the passion built, and you're supposed to feel it. It's not bad to feel music. We're not trying to manipulate your emotions. God made music this way. God made words this way. And so you've experienced this a lot. I mean, honestly, like just on a purely musical note, like every EDM song ever is a crescendo. Like there's like, it's, you know, it starts, yeah. You know, like that's, that is a crescendoing thing. The music is building and it's meant to be felt. Well, this Psalm for us tonight, I believe David is the writer, although the text doesn't say, but it really seems like David, when you compare how David writes Psalms, I believe this Psalm is supposed to be this building, ascending crescendo of praise. And it's a great template for us as followers of Christ. So we're gonna dig right in and just start with these first few verses. Read it with me now. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Let me pray and ask God to bring clarity to his word today, and then we'll continue. Lord, God, your word is so rich and it's so good. And our hearts, God, can we can just run the path of apathy towards your goodness like it's a full-time job. And my prayer by the power of your spirit tonight is that you would inject deep in our being just a passion for the basic truth of, of your goodness, God, and our placement by being yours with you, that we are found in you, that we have hope in you. And so Lord, would you illuminate your word and your spirit within us draw us closer to you tonight. Jesus be praised in everything we do. In your name I pray, amen. The point number one tonight, if you're a note taker, if you're not, that's fine. But point number one is this, true worship in this Psalm, true worship is not based on circumstances and it involves everything we are. True worship is not based on circumstances, I believe according to the Bible, and it involves everything that we are. 
Right out of the gate, the psalmist starts with a command to his soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Guys, this is the act. This is the act of your head and your heart and your entire being. Like you are commanding yourself to praise. This cry and this urgency to be able to command your heart to actually praise the Lord, it is, I believe it's directly tied to our knowledge. Like it clearly is knowledge, but it's not just knowledge. It's also our heart. And so like every, you know, I pay attention a lot to how Christian culture is displayed by secular culture. And if you watch any movie with any church scene, it displays this idiotic, brainless worshiper like in church where, I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. Can you think of any church? Like it is like the brainless worshipers who are all raising their hand and it's like, huh, like look at how stupid and brainless. Like this is Hollywood's portrayal of what worship in the church looks like. But when they display a basketball game or a concert, Justin Bieber concert, girls like standing there crying at Justin Bieber's feet. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. They don't mock that. And, and, and the, the reason why is first off, they don't know God. They don't understand. They don't have the baseline knowledge to understand that the, the, this true worship of God comes through knowledge and through our soul. It's this spirit and truth kind of thing. Um, the, the other thing that I think is really interesting in these first few verses is there is zero mention of anything external for King David. I believe the writer of this Psalm, there's no mention of early in the morning when it's you know not a million degrees outside in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Like there's zero mention of circumstances. There's no worship team. There's no beautiful lights and stage. There's no you know preacher. There's nothing going on. And the psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul. I really think we see this truth, this reality that, that true worship according to the Bible is not just about our singing. I think we see it repeated in Romans 12 verses one and two where, where, where the writer says, therefore I urge you, my brethren, um, in, in view of all these things, I'm, this is the Trenton version here, I'm kind of summarizing, but, but, but you can bear with me. In view of all these things and all that he has talked about for the first 11 chapters of Romans, to offer your songs to the Lord, no. To offer your hands raised, no. To offer your, a little bit of your bank account, no. To offer like 10% of your time, no. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. That is, this is New Testament and Old Testament stuff aligning here. This is like, the Bible is incredible. Like it's like the same thing. Different authors written over hundreds and hundreds of years and it's the same thing with the same message. True worship is not dependent on circumstance. It doesn't require circumstances. Listen, don't hear me say that if like, having a great, amazing band like this and, and this environment with your, with your people like brings you to a good place of worship that you're wrong or bad. That's not the point. What I'm saying is this though, that if you require this setting to worship the Lord only and it never occurs in your normal life, like your real life, there's a problem there. That there's then the chasm between your projected faith and your actual faith. That's what this psalmist is getting at. <clears throat> I really, 
Um, I, I think of one story the most when I think of this kind of worship, and I'm not, I, I promise I'm not just trying to um, tell, tell a sob story at, at all, but um, I, I've told bits and pieces of this story here before, but I'm the guy who's like dreamt of being a dad his whole life. And I now have two, you know, beautiful boys and, and a baby on the way, and it's just an honor. But man, we we're the, I know this isn't your season of life, but just bear with me. I think you can kind of, you can understand where I'm going, but, um, and, and what I'm getting at here, but we, uh, our first pregnancy was, was a miscarriage and it was, it was really hard and it was, it was early on. And then our second pregnancy, I remember we like, we prayed for like two years and it was like prayer and seeking the Lord. And I was like, I'm gonna get my finances in order and I'm gonna, you know, be the man I need to be. And, and, and all this, all this stuff, just kind of trying to get ready for the, for the baby we were, my wife and I were praying for. And we lived in Franklin, Tennessee at this time. And uh, by God's grace, he gave us a baby in my wife's womb. And we, man, we were like worship to the max. We we're like, thank you, Lord. This is great. We were, we were going to wait till 13 weeks to, so that we could maybe learn the gender, maybe for our first like ultrasound. And I remember, I remember the day as vivid as anything. We woke up, we were like high-fiving. Uh, we went to Frothy Monkey in Franklin, which I love Frothy Monkey. Um, it's the greatest thing. You say that anywhere else that's not natural though. And people are like, what are you talking about? Are monkeys rabies? Um, but, uh, but we went to Frothy Monkey, we got a drink. We, were, we, we listened to some worship music on the way. We were, we were going, we got to the doctor. We were like, this is the first time we'll get to see like the life that God is forming in your womb. Um, and so we walk in, we're holding hands. We're just like, I mean, really it's one of the happiest days of my life. Um, and uh, my wife hops up on the table and um, I'm holding her hand and we're just standing there and the tech, you know, puts the thing on her belly or whatever it's called and, and starts to scan and it's, it's pretty quiet. And we're just like, just looking and you can see movement or you can see that the tech is moving the thing on the screen and the, the, the tech starts to slow down. The tech's not saying anything. And, and, uh, you know, I'm still holding my wife's hand. I'm like, I don't, we've never, we've never done this before. And, um, and, you know, God had saw fit to take, I'm so sorry. I promise. I don't, like cry for any other reason than I'm just, this is who I am. So embrace it or hate it. Um, but God saw fit to take that one home. And um, so I remember she got off the, my wife Kelly got off the bed and we sat down in the room and I spiraled um, into such ink. Um, Um, to God, because I was like, God, people don't want their babies. There's bad parents everywhere. I want this baby. Um, why would you do that? And I just remember, I was like, I mean, when I say spiral, it was rough. Um, just, I was holding my wife's hand and I'm just like frustrated and mad and questioning and dipping real low into the valley of the shadow of death. And, um, my wife kind of pulls her hand away and grabs her phone. And, uh, and I'm just like, again, I'm like, why Lord? Like this makes no tangible sense to me. There's no world in which this makes sense. And my wife grabs her phone. I'm like, what are you doing? And like, okay, like, I guess she's gonna text her mom. 
And um, then some piano music starts playing and I'm like, look at her and she's just streaming tears. Um, and she's she played 10,000 Reasons, believe it or not, this, which is, I believe, where this, that song, Bless the Lord, Oh My Soul, I think comes right out of this psalm. And she just opened her hands to the Lord and just sat silently. And our postures were pretty different. And my wife got to, you know, really lead me to godliness in that moment because I'm mad and disappointed and act as though God has betrayed me in a moment. And my wife's posture is not that she becomes this emotionless being, but my wife's posture was one that even though her external circumstances were trash, her immediate, her default was to worship the Lord and was to turn to him and go, God, like, I'm sad, I'm broken, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna worship you right now. So when I say that worship shouldn't require and true worship isn't like found in the, the environment, true worship is found, I believe, in this ability for us to go, God, this is all that I am and this is all that I have in this moment and there's nothing else good going on, but Lord, I choose to command my soul to praise you in spirit and in truth right now. And I'm spiraling and my wife's just being this amazing godly woman who I'm so lucky to have married. But that is what I'm talking about when we cannot be a dependent people on our circumstances to set us up for the worship moment. That's what this psalmist is getting at. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Without any external thing going on. True worship is not based on our circumstances and it, and it involves our whole being not just our songs or our hands raised or a brief moment in the car. Let's, let's look at verse number two and point number two is, is easy. It's just, I'm just pulling this right from the text. Do not forget what God has done for you. It's simple, I know. Do not forget what God has done for you. Verse two says this, bless the Lord, this command again, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, I've experienced the goodness of God for years of my life, yet I am a pro at walking through the valley, emerging the other side, and doubting again. Um, it happens all the time. And you know, when we, read, when we read the Old Testament, it is so easy to poke fun of the people of Israel for their ridiculousness. And yet every time my, you know, heart begins to play the comparison game between me and those stupid Israelites, the Lord reminds me of how fickle and how forgetful I can be. You have to remember it in the Old Testament, this by no means is this exhaustive, but God's chosen people, and we just sang about it. That last song was so good. Could not have tied in better. Um, but God's chosen people, he made promises and he kept them every time. 
Even though they were consistently unfaithful and forgetful, God remained faithful and kept his covenant promise with them every time. I think of just some, again, this is not exhaustive, but some of the things they went to, God led them out of slavery in Egypt. God parted the Red Sea and rescued them from the armies of Pharaoh. God led them through the wilderness. God provided water in the desert by Moses smacking on a rock with the staff. God provided food that appeared from nowhere on the ground for them in the desert where there was no food. When they turned from him and were bit by snakes in the wilderness, all they had to do was look on the serpent that Moses raised up into the air and they were healed. God physically healed them from poisonous snakes. God, prom God brought them all the way into the land of his promise. And yet again and again, they gripe, they complain. And I don't know that the psalmist here is referring to forgetfulness like amnesia, like you're like an old person. You're like, what? I don't remember. I don't think that's the point. I think the point of this forgetfulness is when God has been consistently faithful and then you get to another trial, another task, another incredibly hard season, and then you're going to post up and position your faith with God like, oh, is he going to, is he still for me? Is he gonna do it again? I don't think this is about amnesia, okay? This is not like the notebook where the lady's forgetting or whatever. I don't think it's literally about our like inability to remember. I think it's about our moments to trust when we hit the hard moments in life. Does that make sense? And that God's been faithful to me for 33 years, but then I, I come up to another challenge or trial or hardship and I'm like, oh Lord, like, Will you really, will you do it again? Like, and, and my encouragement to you is that God does not want us to not be human, but part of becoming holy, part of sanctification for us is to walk like God is as faithful yesterday as he will be tomorrow. And man, we've, I'm, we've all heard this truth in church I mean, I'm, I'm not, I didn't invent some new thing here, but I'll tell you, I, I'll speak for me instead of for the room. I'm not good at it. Again, God will lead me through just ridiculously hard seasons and then something small or shallow will come up and I'll cower in fear as though, as though he's not faithful always. So I think that is the heart of what this forget not is about. It's not about that you actually have a memory lapses. I think it's about trusting God and walking with complete and total faith in him. Do not forget what God has done for you. Okay. You're like, okay, good trend. I'm not supposed to forget, but what, what am I not supposed to forget? I have this super redneck friend who lives in Ringgold and I love him to death. He's awesome. Um, and whenever um, he gets really excited about the Lord, he's like, that right there? And he sounds like this. He also is missing a, he's like Mater basically from Cars. Like he's ridiculous. <laughs> but he's like, man, that right there? When he's when we're talking about like godly things. Um, Andy probably, there's probably some people back in Arkansas that sound like this, Andy, I could assume. But he's like, that right there, man, that truth right there, that'll make you want to slap your grandma. And I'm like, okay, 
That's, I don't know what that means. Um, so this is that kind of truth. This will make you want to slap your grandma, okay? And in case you're wondering, okay, Trent, what am I not supposed to forget? We have a ridiculous laundry list in this Psalm of understanding God's nature and God's faithfulness and God's goodness. And this is not rocket science. So I'm not gonna like unpack every word and what, like we're just gonna read this. And remember, we are in a crescendoing moment. I camped out a lot in the first two verses, but this Psalm is building, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Like it begins with me, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And then the Psalmist continues on. I'll start in verse two. <clears throat> Here's what I want us to remember. I'm gonna go to give you the third point too. Do not forget was point two, what God has done for you. But the point three is we must remember, there's two things we're gonna see in these verses, our salvation and God's nature. Those are both displayed here, our salvation and God's nature. Verse two, read this with me. Look at, look at the word if you can. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Here's our list. Who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's good for the old people in the room. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. This is the nature of God, the very nature, the very character, the very work of God at us that applies to you today. No matter where you're at, no, no matter where you're like a faithful doubter that you don't even know if this whole Christian thing is real, or no matter whether you're like, you love it and you're always in church, but you're kind of apathetic and you're kind of worn out and you're kind of numb to this whole God thing, or, or whether you're on the highest high and you love the Lord and you're just rocking it right now. This is God's nature to you. This is your reality in him, in the text. Again, we see two things in this text. This is why I believe it's prophetic. And we see this again repeated in Christ in the New Testament. When we see our salvation, what, what does verse three sound like to you? He forgives your iniquity. Iniquity just means sin. What does that sound like to you? He redeems, verse four, he redeems your life from the pit. What does that sound like to you? He does not deal with you according to your sin. What does that sound like to you? That's the salvation that we have in Jesus. That's our reality when we place our faith in him. This is his benefits, guys. This is like given to us freely. This is, this is grace on display. This is our salvation on display. Our There's like a tangible positioning we have in Christ when we accept 
him. And this is the reality of it, but far more than just our salvation, because this Psalm is really isn't a ton about us. This Psalm is about him. And if you leave with anything, leave in awe of him. I've summarized, kind of changed some of the words. I'm not trying to add to the scriptures or anything, but just a, a quick list of what God has done for us in this. This is his nature. If you were wondering, or if you needed a quick refresher on how good God is, according to this Psalm, God forgives you. God heals you. God crowns you. God satisfies you. God works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. God has made himself known to people. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in love. God does not perpetually find fault with us. God doesn't keep his anger towards us. God does not deal with us according to our sin. God does not repay us according to our iniquities. God's love for us is endless. God shows compassion to us like a good father. And God knows that we are feeble and weak. This is who God is for us tonight. And my encouragement to you, I don't like, you don't need to have my emotional response to the word. My encouragement to you is that we might, and, and we'll have a moment for this in a little bit, but like, if all of that, you're like, man, I think God needs to do some work on your heart tonight. That you would shed off some layers of apathy or, or and, and maybe, it's, maybe it's even unconscious apathy towards the goodness of God tonight, but that you would shed off some layers and that you would be like a kid again. The best thing about having a three-year-old is I can be like, well, you wanna go outside? And he's like, ah! you know what I mean? It's like anything is the greatest thing to a three-year-old. And somewhere along the line, we as mature, amazing young people lose our ability to just be in awe of God and his goodness and his faithfulness to us. And so my encouragement to you is to remember well tonight how good God is, that he is for you. I, I gotta be honest, I, I'm not at all shy about talking about my shortcomings, but man, when I, when I forget that God is, merciful and that God forgives. Like when, and again, I don't mean forget the generic truth that's up here, but when I practically forget when my desired faith and my actual faith, when the chasm is great and, and I forget that God is merciful and that God forgives when I sin and I fall short, I try to hide from God like an idiot. <laughs> I'm like, hey, this book's really good and it's for me and you love me and just gonna not. I think that's what this psalmist is talking about when he says, forget not. Do you know what happens when I forget that God satisfies? I start looking for some satisfaction in other things, money or people or approval or ridiculous things that will never, ever satisfy. Yet time and time again, like, I forget, and again, it's not total forgetfulness. I know, I know the truth. And then what, what we, there's always a chasm between what we know 
and how we act. We all know this. I know I shouldn't eat Doritos, but daddy's been eating Doritos and daddy's getting a dad bod. You know, like there is a big chasm between what we know and what we practice. And what I'm saying is that, man, as I forget that God forgives and as I forget that God is the one who satisfies me, then I'm like, man, I hope, hope LH young adults think I'm great tonight. I had that thought a couple times today. I look for something beyond my maker and my savior and my hope and my peace for satisfaction. And then of course, the the most generic of all, and we're all guilty of this when we forget that God fulfills the role of love in our life. That God's love is ultimate and final and perfect and good and enough. And especially for you in a single season of life today, if that's you, then you are and I, I can speak for myself too, then we become obsessed with being loved by someone else or something else or a group of other people. So we know that God is love in our brain, but our actual life, it's like, it's like we forget because we're practicing and living in a different way. I mean, that is what this psalmist is talking about. This psalmist has laid out the laundry list of God's nature and of our reality by just by being his, by proxy. <clears throat> Yet he starts with, bless the Lord, O my soul. So I love that bless the Lord and those first parts of this Psalm aren't after all the good things of God. Because again, I really believe this should be our default, like my wife, where life is falling apart. Life is at the worst of the worst. And she's like, no, I'm gonna turn to praise. I'm gonna turn to commanding my spirit to bless the Lord. Does that make sense? This is, this is our true north as believers. This is what it means to really, really worship God. And it involves our whole being. It involves our whole being, our head and our heart and our soul. The began, the began, that's cool. Let's call you guys the began. Uh, the band can begin to make their way up here. Uh, I think there's just a couple responses and this isn't rocket science. This is just reading God's word and just doing God's word. And so th- there's, there's two responses for us tonight. Um, and I really encourage you sometimes when like we get to this point, you're like, all right, where are we going for dinner? Like, who am I gonna talk to? Where's that cute girl? To me, this is the richest part of the night because we get to sit in a response to God's truth for us. And it's just simple, it's just simple truth. We just remember it. We let it seep into our soul. We let it seep into our being. But the responses are right there in both of those first two verses. The two responses tonight for, for you is some of you need to stand up and know your life's not where you want it to be and know your circumstances aren't where you want them to be, but you need to go, God is an act of spiritual discipline and as an act of, I want to be a doer of your word, God, I'm gonna command myself to praise you in spirit and in truth, like all my whole being. And I don't mean, okay, that looks like hands raised. That could look like you getting on your knees. That could look like you walking back to the room and just praying and just like, like that can look however, this is not ultimate worship, just to be really clear. But so for some of us tonight, the response is stand, command your soul, despite the brokenness, despite the sin, despite the shortcomings, despite the pain in your life to go, God, 
I've seen you in your word tonight and I'm gonna respond. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like David. I'm gonna command my soul to worship you. And then I think there's others of us who need to stay exactly in our seat and you need to look at the word and look at David's laundry list, but you also need to think of your own story and just sit there and remember, God, you were faithful. You were faithful yesterday. You were faithful last year. You've been faithful every moment of my life up until this point. So God, help me remember and not forget how faithful and how good you've been. I think those are our two responses. So again, stand and command your soul or sit and just remember. And there's a sweetness in that because there's such a push and a pull in our relationship with God. He is real. He knows everything about you in this moment. And he just wants connection with you. And he is near. He's near to you. This Psalm crescendos. I want to jump to the very end as we close. The Psalm crescendo. So these first few verses, the psalmist, bless the Lord, oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul and forget not all of his benefits. And then in verse three, he moves to God's work in mankind. So, I mean, it starts internal. It starts in the self, his praise. And then he's like, God, but your works, you do righteousness and you do justice and you revealed yourself to Israel and you made, you made known your ways to Moses, God, and, and your love is good. And your love is a, a, like the, the crescendo is building. He's, he's speaking of God's works in mankind. And, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this crescendo continues. Crescendo continues in verse 20. The psalmist, I mean, they were, we're, we're reaching the peak of the crescendo. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels. When was the last time one of you commanded the angels to bless the Lord? I mean, the, the psalmist is speaking fully understanding the authority and the weight and the worthiness of God. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels. In verse 20, you, his mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. He's now not just commanding his soul, he's commanding all his hosts, all the angels and his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works. He's commanding the works of God to bless the Lord in all the places of his dominion. God's dominion knows no bounds. The psalmist is crescendoing out to the praise of God in the entire galaxy. It is as big as it gets, the crescendo goes. And then the psalmist bookends the psalm, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I want that kind of praise for the Lord. He's worthy, he's received. If we don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. I want that kind of praise. But this understanding for, for, I believe King David, this reality that Lord, let this praise, let this magnificent worship of you where the galaxies in every area of your dominion and all on earth for all the peoples of earth and in my soul, he bookends it. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I believe he's truly saying tonight, and for some of us, this is how we will participate. Let this worship, let this extravagant praise begin in me. That's what he's getting at. Let me pray for us and we'll sing. Lord, God, would you just drive out every ounce of apathy 
then would you draw in a childlike faith that is just bursting with joy. It's bursting with hope for tomorrow. It's full of satisfaction in you, Lord. God, would you bridge the gap between what we know to be true and what we live to be true? Would you sanctify us in that way tonight that we would take steps towards being doers of the word, that we would take steps towards giving you this kind of glory we see in the Psalms and that we would become a people that don't demand the life we want and then praise. make us a people who praise in the lowest valley and in the hardest situation. God, let faith rise in this place as we worship you now. Jesus, be magnified. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen.